Welcome to Season 5 of the Excel Still More Podcast. I'm still your host, Chris Emerson, and I'm here to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and I'm glad you've joined. The program continues to be sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John is a good friend, and he's helped me and my family in everything from stock and mutual fund investing to annuities, life insurance, and retirement planning. I certainly commend him to you. If you have needs in any of those areas, you can reach him at 615-895-7773. Thank you again for your ongoing encouragement and support. Let's get started. Hey, I'm really glad you're listening today, and I hope you're having a super awesome start to your summer. This is my fifth summer to do podcast episodes, and so I know for sure by now that the listenership drops about 20% during the summer months because many of our routines are totally changed up, and if there's one thing that podcast listenership depends on, it's routine. So I just want to thank you for loaning me 20 minutes and tuning in this week. We are carrying forward an idea that was seeded in last week's episode, so let me use just a minute looking back at that content. We looked at the interview with three Oklahoma Sooner softball stars. They were at the height of their fame at the final series of the season, about to win their third consecutive national championship, and all three of them talked about Jesus. The coolest part of all of that for me was the Jada Coleman Instagram. She has 72,000 followers, and earlier this year, she posted pictures of her baptism. She referenced Romans chapter 6 and dying with Christ, and it was incredible. And to briefly speak about this last week, I just want to thank everyone who participated in giving feedback on that episode. It actually ended up being a sermon also. I had recorded it for you, and I couldn't get it off my mind, so I presented it with quotes and everything at the Lindell Church, and the feedback was 100% positive. I guess I kind of expected, since so many listeners are very conservative-minded Christians, that there might be some questioning of these young ladies or even Jada's baptism because perhaps it didn't associate with the same church name that you hold. And to be clear, I didn't research any of that. I simply went with what they said and what she quoted. But I just found it amazing how many Christians took this in exactly the right way. Several people wrote me and said, in years past, I would have let my suspicion of them take away from the great proclamation that they made. One person even went on to say that he used that type of a cynical approach to take the focus off of the fact that he is not proclaiming Jesus as openly and unashamedly as they are. So again, I just felt so uplifted every single day of last week. And the idea of uplifted is a great segue into today's content. The central message of all of the girls interviewed last week was their shared team slogan, Eyes Up. In sports, and particularly in baseball and softball, Eyes Up tends to have a non-spiritual connotation. It's just the idea of having your eyes looking around at your fellow teammates and assessing the situation and being ready for the next play. These girls took that in a higher, greater, better direction and cast their eyes above the playing field and upon the great glory of Jesus Christ. They talked about casting their eyes upon him, upon his power and his promises and his presence. When I was sharing that with you last week, we even read from Hebrews chapter 12, this great passage that 
teaches us to lay aside the sin that can so easily draw our gaze and cast our sight upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, the one who faced various trials on this earth because he knew where he was going, and now that is exactly where he is, and that's where our eyes need to look. It is an entirely biblical idea that ought to dominate the heart of every believer. But that leads to a question that I have for you that will dominate the rest of the episode today. When you cast your eyes on Jesus, when you see images of Christ, what exactly does that look like? If I ask you right now, and you were in a safe place to do so, to just close your eyes and picture Christ, what image would come to mind and how would you describe him? Now, look, this isn't some magic trick where I already know what you're seeing and I'm going to describe it for you and blow you away, but I can tell you what I believe would be some very common answers, including my own answer from years past. Someone might say, when I cast my eyes upon Jesus, I look to the cross. I imagine Jesus, a man, hanging there, arms outstretched, crown of thorns, bleeding to death to be the Savior of of his people. And if that's what you see when you visualize Jesus, there's a reason for that. We are called to do so every Sunday when we meet to remember him, and all four gospels paint a picture that is very descriptive of the day that Jesus died. Let me be very clear, you are not making a mistake if your vision of Christ is a crucified savior. But I would at least say this, that is a picture of where he was. That was a form that he was previously in, and it was a moment in his life that, of course, was the most significant in all of human history. However, if you were to picture Jesus now, for instance, if I reframed the question slightly and said, close your eyes and tilt your head back and look towards the heavens and tell me when you see Jesus, what do you see? Now, that might change your answer somewhat because you're not picturing where Jesus was and what he did, but where he is and who he is. And I think today, looking at the first five chapters of Revelation, you might begin to see some very complicated but impactful concepts of Christ when you see him at the right hand of God. In some ways, it may shake up some of the modern concepts that many believers have when they think about the Lord. Let me give you an example to illustrate that is true for me. A few years ago, I started watching the series, The Chosen. Have you seen that? Three seasons have been released. My family and I have seen every episode. A couple of times, we even went with friends to watch episodes at a local theater. The actor who portrays Jesus is so incredibly impactful to me. He paints this picture through his acting of a Jesus who walked on this earth with incredible compassion, and patience. He had limitless, undying love, and while he had perfect knowledge and was the greatest person in any room that he ever walked, he often did the most remarkable things like holding his tongue or serving others. To be honest with you, when I just kind of picture Jesus these days, I see scenes from those episodes. But again, I'm not imagining him where he is and the pictures that we've been given in Revelation. I'm imagining him as he was, as he sowed the seeds of his ministry upon the earth. I'm seeing him in the flesh, 
patiently enduring the vast ignorance of the people he came to save. And I don't think that's a mistake because those characteristics of Jesus are still the characteristics that he has today. Everything that led him to die quietly upon that cross, to give everything for the very people who were killing him, looking at the chosen series, the qualities of compassion for people and the meekness he exhibited to reach them. That is still the Jesus whom you serve. But I do think it's important to note that Jesus has more facets to his position and his character and his demeanor than just the things that we saw from him during his three-year ministry or six hours upon the cross. I want you to have an image of Jesus that includes all of the tender, selfless qualities we've talked about so far. But when you cast your eyes on Jesus and where he is right now, you are being challenged to see more. So what I'm going to do is share some text with you from the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. I know it can be a really difficult book. I just finished up my, I don't know, 10th read-through of that letter, and I still find chapters 6 through the end super tough. But if you would allow me to make an appeal to you for your reading this week, if you would listen to or sit down and read those first five chapters, it will shape and maybe reshape the way you see the Son of God. I'll note a few things for you today. I'm in chapter one, and I think it's important to note that some of what you and I would reflect on from his life is spoken of very early, describing him in chapter one. In verse five of Revelation one, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So that brief description talks about his life in phases, the faithful witness that he was during his ministry, the resurrection from the dead that verified his glory, and his current position as the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus himself in heaven through an angel is sharing this message with John to write to Christians, and he wants you to know in verse 5 that he was and is all of those things because he loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us, verse 6, to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. I'm starting there to say that nowhere in the description to follow should you forget that Jesus loves you. He came to earth and gave his life because of his love for you. His death was to free you from your sins and to make you into something amazing, to make us into his kingdom, to enlist us as priests and servants to his father. So at this point, you may be like, Chris, that's pretty accurate to the way that I see Jesus living faithfully, dying sacrificially, raised triumphantly because of his great love for me. So please hang on tightly to all of that, but also allow me to read a description of Jesus as John is able to behold him in the heavens. I'm picking up in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. This image of Jesus hit John in such a powerful way that the next verse says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. So let me ask you this. When you fix your eyes on Jesus and actually begin to summon up images of your king, is this what you see? I think some of this feels very warm and comforting, like his face shining like the sun. We know that Jesus is the great light and that there'll be no sun in heaven because of his glory. The long robe and golden sash represent his royal position, which we would all acknowledge. The whiteness of his hair and head like wool, like snow, is certainly a picture of purity, and everyone would say that Jesus is holy and pure and good. But that's not all we see here, is it? As soon as we see white hair like snow, we see eyes that are like a flame of fire. As soon as we see a face that is shining like the beautiful sun, we see a mouth out of which comes a sharp, two-edged sword. We are asked not just to see his holiness, but also to revere his power, to be humbled, and yes, even to carry a measure of fear of what it would be like to see him one day and have him be against us. John hit the ground like a dead man, and I submit to you that maybe we could spend a little bit more time on the ground ourselves. I'm not talking about terrorizing fear at the rage of the Christ, but I will say that the book goes on to depict that rage and wrath of Christ poured out upon the ungodly, and terrifying is the only way to describe it. Now, you might see this multifaceted concept of Christ and kind of segregated in this way. To those who are his, his church, the faithful, we see the white, we see the gold, we see the light. But if you are someone who is out of fellowship with him, then you should see the flaming eyes and trampling feet and protruding sword. But I really don't think that holds because in the next two chapters, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus addresses the seven churches of Asia. You know, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Philadelphia and the like. Each one of those begins with some description about him. In Smyrna, he says, I am the first and the last. I was dead and have come to life, which sounds comforting and awesome. But with Pergamum, he says, I am the one who has the two-edged sword. To Thyatira, he says, from the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. He wants even his church to revere his power. And it's not that those churches were totally out of whack. The two that I just read about the sword and the flame, Pergamum and Thyatira, they had good things going on in that church. But yes, there were also some who needed to repent. And look, for you, maybe the meek, pure Jesus in his ministry on this earth, calling followers is enough to get you to turn from your sin and go all in with him. But if it isn't, 
This letter is saying there is also more to see. The lampstands in this text are the seven churches themselves, and he says, I have brought you together, and if you will not repent, the same power that is used to protect you will then be used to remove you. Look, I know this is difficult. Human beings just aren't very good at balancing things that seem so different. How do you balance the tender hand that reaches down and says, do not be afraid, and the sword that is protruding dominantly from his mouth? Or to put it another way, how do you see Jesus as both the lamb that was slain as well as the royal lion of Judah? The answer is, you work at it. It's not easy to put all of those things together. We start asking questions like, am I supposed to fear him, revere him, be afraid of him? We start wrestling with all these issues about whether we should ever feel terror or if all fear should be gone. I would put it to you this way. Seeing Jesus at the right hand of God ought to cause you to hit your knees in reverence. And like any great father multiplied by infinity, we ought to be drawn to him by his love and yet intensely respectful of his power. Speaking of lion and lamb, let me share some final thoughts from Revelation chapter 5. There's this scroll that has seven seals, and within that scroll is the future for Christians and what to expect and the things that are coming, and no one in heaven has the strength to break those seals and open the book. Verse 4 says, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. The rest of the chapter is them proclaiming loudly, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And so it should be for you and me, proclaiming openly the worthiness of Jesus to be praised and honored because he alone has the power to unlock all that is to be. It's really captivating here that he's pictured as a lion early on to show that he is a king of the line of David, but for pretty much the rest of the letter, he's pictured as this lamb standing as if slain. If when I ask you to cast your mind's eye up towards heaven to picture Jesus, you picture a slain lamb, you are on the right track. But here are some interesting dynamics of that lamb. That lamb is strong. That lamb is strong enough to break open the seals of judgment upon all the nations. At the end of chapter 6, we are asked to process a very conflicting and challenging term, the wrath of the lamb. How does a slain lamb 
have power to open books? Or how could it have wrath? It's a lamb, quiet and pure. It is white and it is bright, but it also has eyes of flaming fire and a strong sword of judgment accompanying its words. Look, I can't tell you how to picture Jesus. And truthfully, in Hebrews 12, when it said fixing your eyes on Jesus, it wasn't explicitly about images of him in heaven. But those images have been given to us for a purpose. To me, that purpose is like the book of Romans in chapter 11. I was reading this passage with a friend we were studying the other day, and it spoke of God in this way, Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And so today I invite you to see Jesus exactly that way full of kindness and mercy to those who seek to live in it, but with an unstoppable severity of judgment to those who don't. Like with John in Revelation, you know you've gotten this right when your view of Jesus brings you to your knees in reverence, and yet in a beautiful and spiritual way, you feel his soft and somehow firm hand lift you up, inviting you to walk with him, the man, the lion, the lamb. May you be humbled, encouraged, and blessed when you see images of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this program, will you share it with someone you care about? One thing I've learned over these five seasons is that there's nothing as powerful in advertising as word of mouth sharing between friends. Speaking of friends, let me once again commend you to give John Cunningham a call. He and his team have a wide variety of tools to help you use your present budget and life to build towards a more secure and hopeful financial future. Once again, you can reach him at 615-895-7773. And always remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.